Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have uh, Zakaria Bikali here with me. Welcome to my podcast, Zakaria. Thank you for having me, Vesna. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and I'll call you Zach, right? Everybody does, right? Yes, that's how even my parents go by. So Zach, Zach, okay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, really, I'm so so happy to be with you here in my second home city, which is Milan. And um, actually, you you've been here for a, for a long while, right? Or all your life? Are you born here? I was born in Milan, yes, and I spent most of my life um, just before going to grad school. I moved to, to London, but I spent most of my life in Milan. Mm. Just as a short intro of you, Zach is a graduate student at the London School of Economics and Political Science, uh, where he is awarded a postgraduate excellence scholarship for a master in public administration with a specialization in social impact. And he also holds a Bachelor in International Politics and Government from Bocconi University here in Milan. And he's also studied at Princeton University during his undergraduate senior year. So, you know, you're 22 and you've done all of these things. And uh, I would say definitely an, at an impressive level as, as well. So I'm just curious immediately to ask you, wh- what is actually your passion? You know, that thing that you're also willing to maybe suffer for if needed. I think my passion, thinking of my background as well, so you were saying what drives you to get all these things accomplished. And I think that when you're coming from a relatively disadvantaged socioeconomic background, you realize that the education uh, you can pursue is the only uh, tool you have to actually improve uh, your life conditions. So I was lucky enough to have to uh, very supportive parents who, despite um, being working class, have always encouraged me to believe in my um, knowledge and in the power of education. So I think I've been really just uh, uh, doing my best throughout the past years to get the best out of uh, the schooling that I was able to receive. And now that I think about it, I realize that what also drove me was the desire of making this journey that I was able to experience more accessible to other people. So I think that the equality of opportunity that I was able to experience is something that I would definitely work hard uh, for to make it a possibility for for other students who may um, start with a relative disadvantage. I remember uh, myself, I was only like four years old or so when I came to uh, Sweden with my parents uh, from uh, Belgrade, Serbia today. Uh, And uh, in this young age, I get these kind of flashbacks from, you know, situations where as you say, even if parents are as loving as they can be and are giving you everything that they can, I immediately understood somewhere between the lines that if I want to go from there to here, if I want to accomplish something in this country of ours where they're trying to you know, adapt, I better do it myself. I better organize myself so that I can rely on myself. You know, And that, that kind of sensation is, uh, I mean, it's, it's empowering in a way also, but when you're a kid, I don't know, maybe maybe you feel a little bit alone with things. You feel extremely responsible. So you become a very responsible kind of person, <laughs> driving yourself a lot, you know. But uh, I, I generally think that it's, it was a positive experience. But um, 
I think, I mean, I don't know about your own experience, but I also feel that my parents, despite not being able to guiding me, for example, through application for college or doing my undergrad, they were not able to help me with preparing my exams. They still were able to deliver, to, to give me that knowledge, which comes from wisdom, from their own experience, you know? Have you been in touch with the grandparents and, and so on during this time as well? or? So, yeah, that's been a bit tough. Um, my grandparents, um, for most of my early childhood, they were in Morocco, so I would see them. Morocco is the country where my parents are from. And I would go see him, see them every, every two years. So that's also been a bit hard because when I was younger, I would compare, for example, my situation with my fellow peers in primary school. After school, they would go to, to their grandparents and spend their afternoons with them because their parents were at work. Whereas my parents had always to find ways to conciliate their work commitments and with their child caring commitments. And it also was a bit difficult for me to establish a lasting relationship with my grandparents. Thank God at some point, uh, the laws in Italy have become a bit more flexible. So my parents got the citizenship and they were able to bring uh, my grandparents to Italy. And they started to spend six months here and six months there. And I think that by spending so much time together, and it was around my middle school, high school years, I started to develop a very strong relationship with them, which was not necessarily the case with my extended family back in Morocco that I still see every two, three years. So that's been very hard. We try to keep in touch, but I definitely have missed a lot having the network of my family um, with me. And what, I mean, you're only 22, but I'm just curious to know, you know, what, what do you see as like important points in your, your life that has influence you the most apart from obviously your, your your background i've been mainly at university so i can definitely identify a few transformational points and i connect them with the places that i've seen so i think the first one was probably moving from high school to bocconi and i just all of a sudden found myself being in a very prestigious and you know also bougie environment where people were just coming from a very different environment from mine and i had to navigate this thing of sticking to my own values and the mission that i was trying to pursue by getting that education while um, getting all these different stimuli that uh, were coming from the interactions uh, with people who you know sometimes even had different ambitions from mine, you know. Uh, I always consider myself not to be significantly money-oriented. I mean, I, I definitely want to have a good life uh, standards uh, at some point, but I don't see that as my ultimate purpose. I really see as my purpose the equality of opportunity I was talking to you earlier. So I think I had to navigate a little bit this gray area and I think it was very impactful for the creation of my of my own identity it was tough I would go back home and you know I would talk with my parents about things that were completely different from the ones that I would talk with my classmates and at some point I really felt that I was changing in a way that I was not really proud of I was getting really far away from my set of values I was not becoming a bad person but I was just becoming you know that type of student that this very prestigious university forged. So they just put you in this, in this capitalistic machine and they tell you, study this, get a 30, get your internship, apply for a consulting job or go into finance because that's going to pave you the way for success. And I just felt that it was a very dangerous time because I was feeling that I was not in my shoes anymore. And then I think the second transformative point came and that was when I went to Princeton for my study abroad in my third year. Because at Princeton, I didn't feel I had to to fit in a certain environment. I felt that I was finding myself interacting with people who shared my, my same background. For the first time, for example, I became friends with other second-generation immigrants or with other first-generation college students who knew what it meant to get 
to that place. And who knew how our parents had worked hard to get us there. And I think by creating this safe space, I realized that I could still be myself, that I, I had to go back into my shoes and into myself and taking the best of my undergraduate experience, but for the purpose that I had come there initially. So I think it's been like a, a roller coaster a little bit. I felt I, I just jumped out of the window into uh, this unknown world, and then I managed to come back into myself stronger than before. So these two points were very, very transformative. And Princeton was definitely like such a, a transformative moment because from then, from then on, I really started to live in a more authentic way. And I really managed to reconciliate my own identity as well as, a, as an immigrant, as a first-generation student. And I just started to look for other safe spaces like this where, wherever I would go, which didn't mean I, I wanted to select, of course, the friends that I was making, but it just meant I wanted to find people who uh, could understand me. And even if they didn't feel or didn't experience what I experienced, they could just try to empathize with me. But it's interesting when you talk about identity because um, I, I remember just uh, uh, something that that um, I remembered right now, like when I was 12 or so, we were then living in Sweden and I remember my, bus, my mother and I, we jumped on a bus and then she switched from speaking Serbian to uh, uh, Swedish with me when we were on the bus. And, and I had uh, this um, kind of... Um, revolt kind of uh, within me and I was saying out loud in the bus I said why did you switch from that language to this language why is that are you are you not proud of of our origin you know <laughs> that's so funny because like I can totally relate to that actually like I think for me it was I think for me it was the opposite because my parents my parents whenever they would like to tell me something that other people do not want to uh hear they would speak in Arabic right and I would still speak in Italian because that was my that was my own language and I think I actually experienced for a very long time uh, a phase of rejection towards Arabic. I remember like my high school teacher, who is also the mother of a very good friend of mine, I saw her a few months ago. And now, um, you know, I was telling her, I really want to learn Arabic. I can speak Moroccan Arabic, but I cannot speak modern standard Arabic, which is a kind of a different language. And she told me that I was so ashamed of speaking Arabic in front of other people. People would ask me, can you please speak to me in Arabic? I'm really curious. And I would just feel ashamed of doing it. I would never do it. And I think like now, you know, now I'm telling you that I'm actually craving to know modern standard Arabic. So you can see how far I've come from, from that rejection to full acceptance of myself. Uh -huh. But how much, I'm just curious, how much did do you think that this sense of uh, being an immigrant kind of child in, in Italy and so on, I mean, how much actually, when you look back at it now, how much did you really need to even think about that? You know, how much is it self-like created, if you know what I mean? And how much is it because people in this student uh, environment, for example, in Bocconi, were treating me or talking to me or relating to me in a certain way that I, I got all the time the proof that I was the immigrant? Yeah, I think you're raising a very good point. Most of it, it's definitely self-creation. Looking back at it, I was actually quite blessed for the people I found at Bocconi. They were actually super understanding and super open-minded. And they never, ever made me feel as I was any less. But in my mind, I felt I had constantly to prove something to them. And... Probably that, that's also a characterial thing. My brother is not like that, for example. My brother now is part of the town council in the city where we live. And he's always been, you know, proud of, of who he was and uh, his origins. And now I am too. But I think I've always been very insecure. And my 
my primary school teachers just wrote that in my assessment papers in my during primary school. They would write, Zach is a very smart and brilliant student, but he's very insecure. And I think that insecurity has always been within me. And I just felt like I was different and I had to prove that I was enough. And, you know, on one hand, that was good because, you know, having to prove to the others that I was good enough also drove me to work harder and to get where I, where I am right now. But soon enough, you, re- you, you realize that that drive is not really enough for living, right? You can, the only drive that pushes you to do better and better and to accomplish yourself cannot come from this desire of acceptance by other people. It has to come from within. And I'm still navigating this process. I think I've really made huge steps, but yeah, most of it is definitely self-creation. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. And, and, and as, you say, as you say, you're really navigating it well, because I mean, come on, when two, 22 to even have these insights, I mean, people are like 50 or so and they don't have that insight. So, I mean, sometimes this overthinking is not very healthy, uh, but you know, uh, it, it, it's getting me somewhere, but I, I wish I could just relax a bit more sometimes and take things a bit slower and lighter. <laughs> yeah, and the question is: Is it overthinking, or is it actually that you you somehow uh, you care about your your emotions and feelings about things that come up, you know? And then uh, you take the time to at least you know reflect on it and, and digest it in different ways, and uh, so so I, no, it's probably healthy. But um, when we think about you know the world of, of business, and I find it, I mean, very interesting to have you here now on the podcast, also because the people who are listening are very much, you know, the, you could say in the business community, uh, very many are leaders and so on. What would you say are like the long term solutions or the long term formula that you believe in for for business as a system that already exists out there? So for a very long time, I thought that I wanted to go into public policy and that was the only ultimate goal that I had. And now more and more, I realized that a corporate career would probably fit better my ultimate goals because I can see the power that businesses can have in changing the world and leading the progress um, ahead. And I think a major change of mindset that we need is to stop thinking that our personal life and our professional life are separate. Yes, of course, you don't have to uh, live for your work, but you cannot be a different person. You cannot be a different self at home and outside. So if you think you are a good person at home with your family and your friends, well, then do the same, do the work also when you are uh, in your job place. And with this, I mean, business cannot be isolated from the rest of the world anymore. They are part of the society. They are part of this, uh, of the change we want to create. So a long-term vision would be definitely for, for CEOs and founders of new startups and new enterprises to question themselves on to what extent they can help society besides the profit they are they are making and you know this contribution comes in the form of of course creating jobs and creating products and services that are useful for us but also on how their processes uh, their practices their governance can have uh, socially impactful uh, effects on society at large. I mean, I think, for example, of the circular economy that I'm a super advocate for, and I happen, I happen to work a little bit on this right now during the summer. We do that already in our 
homes. We recycle because we know that we cannot just accumulate our waste. We, it has to go somewhere and it, ha- and it has to be recycled. But why don't we translate this into our professional life and in our production processes, you know? I think it's a very trivial mental trick to make. Like what I do in my personal sphere to be to live in a sustainable and a harmonic way, why can't I just replicate it at large in our society? Because other, I mean, somehow our world is just the collectiveness it's the addition of all our individual efforts so why should the practice that we use at home be different from the ones that we use uh, outside our home is there any time recent that you remember that you've kind of stopped and reflected on on you know why why does this company even exist you know what what good are they for you know or what is this thing for actually have anybody even reflected on it or or even maybe stopped and perhaps even admired some some company out there that has you know that is really like resonating with these times and and uh, you know is truly relevant and valuable for us i think that you know when you question the meaning of of some businesses being out there it's not about whether their services is useful but it's about because every business uh, rises because they are able to create a demand for what they're able to produce, right? So I think the question has to be asked to ourselves. Why do we keep craving and buying and going after things that we do not necessarily need? So I think Patagonia, for example, it's a business which came to my mind while thinking about this. They are a huge uh, business in their industry, but not even recently, like a few years ago, they started this advertisement saying, do not buy things that you do not need. And they were, they were talking about their own products. And they were also saying, you don't need to replace our products. Go and repair them. And someone would think, why would they do that? They're like harming themselves. They're cutting their profits. But the business is going to survive anyway. And they're going to find for sure, because it's a business, new areas to expand their product differentiation and, uh, and make profit. But the fact that they have become aware that there is some collateral effect of what they're doing and they want to make society aware of it, I think it's, it's brilliant. And this dialogue between us and businesses in a way that uh, we are all better off, I think it's something that we really need to, to advocate for. I really believe in this new concept of, I mean, capitalism has worked and it's working. And I'm not here to say like, we need to go for some alternative mindsets or ways of doing things. But I think there is this new concept of progressive capitalism, which uh, I came across reading a book by Joseph Stiglitz, um, Nobel Prize of Economics. And he talks about this model of maximization of shareholder profit is not sustainable anymore. So let's bring civil society, uh, third sector, um, governments and businesses together in a way that we're not only thinking about maximizing the profit of our shareholders, but we're also maximizing the shared value that we are able to create and offer for the community. Because businesses rely on communities. If there is not a healthy community, business will not, will not thrive. So it's a win-win solution for, for all of us. Some years ago, I was on a on a flight um, from India, and um, there was a guy um, next to me, and we were chatting. And he used to be a monk, and he told me about that experience and so on. And then he said that he worked for the Tata Group, and then he said that um, in that environment, uh, the Tata Group has been in existence for like forever. <laughs> uh, different companies they are regarded by the people in the society like really part of the society so if if anything happens there is a natural disaster or they there is some kind of incident whatever is happening people are calling 
that company that is closest to them in that city, they're not even calling the authorities to get some help, right? So they're so intertwined into the society in a, in a I mean, it sounds at least very uh, in, in an ideal way. Uh, then there are obviously, you know, shadows uh, in, in, in uh, all these realities as well. But I, I think it's kind of intriguing to see um, how come I don't even know what kind of companies around the corner, right, <laughs> where I live. Yes. We all, yeah, we just think that like whatever happens, the government is going to be there to help us. And we just forget that collaboration between our government and businesses in the community could actually do much more. So I, I'm thinking of the COVID situation right now. The government itself does not have the capacity to, to help us everyone. There is just not enough money. But if businesses make a step in and contribute, then we can get out of this crisis much faster. Have you observed any particular you know, companies or brands that have uh, responded in a way that you, um, that you were impressed by during these times? I think of Armani, for example, they started to produce masks instead of the ordinary products to help people uh, have access to masks in the early stages of the crisis here in, the, in, the, uh, in Italy. I think it's all about being able to reinvent yourself and be aware that exogenous shocks can always be at the door. So uh, Armani will not fail because of this mask business. Actually, they will probably, you know, just strengthen their brand even more because they will pass in the history as heroes of our country. And at the same time, they have uh, helped the country in a very crucial moment. And if we dream a little bit and let's assume that you have all doors open and you have all kinds of resources available to you now, what would you rush to immediately innovate or change? First of all, I don't know where I will be in a few years' time, so I don't know where the change that I want to create will be, but most likely I hope to have an impact in, in developing countries, and I have just this passion that gravitates me towards the African continent. I really hope to, to make my way there at some point because it just resonates a lot with me. And I think the development of this continent and the economic growth really starts from, from education. I went to Tanzania last summer and I happened to uh, find myself in this empty classroom in front of a blackboard. And I thought in this classroom, there could be the next inventor for the cure of HIV or cancer, but he doesn't have the means to to actually manifest his talent and nurture it because he doesn't get a good education. So I'm just thinking of all the wasted talents that is potentially there for the continent and could be used for the growth and economic progress of, of Africa. And I know I shouldn't be talking about Africa as a monolithic entity because there is a huge heterogeneity within it across countries, but poverty and widespread inequality is quite um, a common characteristics um, across the continent. So yeah, I think that I had resources. I would definitely try to help the continent detach itself from foreign aid when it comes to education and really build and strengthen institutions that can um, produce a strong education system that can directly um, bring talents to the businesses and the governments and the productive realities of, of the African countries. I really, be, I really dream one day that the African Union, that it's there just like, I think, by name, but it's not making much in terms of collective effort for the growth of the country 
to become an institution that leads Africa to become uh, a leading force um, in the world. And I'm not sure which role I will be able to play in this, but my passion for education is probably going to lead me to, to do something about uh, human capital development. And I would really like to bring businesses in it because I think they have a huge potential. Uh, governments cannot do it on their, on their own. Uh, I'm talking, for example, about the digital transformation that will be required in the education sector. And businesses can ha have a very big uh, opportunity uh, in the African continent to digitalize education in the classrooms. So that's that's a bit my dream. I, I still need to, to shape it because I happen to have a lot of other passions. And my ultimate goal would be to to bring all these passions together. I'm also an, I'm an, I'm an actor, for example. I've been playing theater for many, many years. And I've been recently, I've been rediscovering this passion, for example, for the media and entertainment industry. And I'm starting to reflect in my free time because I have a lot of free time right now on how this education and my passion for arts and media can be put together. And I think there is a common ground that needs to be explored. With the education, I will be able to equip people with the tools to pave their own way and create their future. But with the media industry, we can make these voices be heard and we can amplify their voices. So... I'm still trying to figure out how to put them together, but I will keep you posted. <laughs> oh, that's great. But um, since we have many leaders listening uh, from all over the world and um, hopefully also from, from Italy, do you have any specific one piece of advice to them, maybe on a general level or so, but also specifically maybe Italian uh, leaders? Yes. Be ready to be challenged by young people. I feel we have ended up in this patriarch system with very old CEOs and leaders who do not want to be confronted by the young generations. It's so hard. I'm, I'm lucky I have a degree from Bocconi, which is a very well-renowned university, which has opened me a lot of doors. But I think of many other peers who did not have the chance to access Bocconi, for example, and they're struggling to find an internship after graduation. Or if they got an internship, it's a six-month internship that is paid 500 euros after five years of uh, full-time schooling. Which means that even if we have our own vision and our own goal and our own dreams, we will end up looking for opportunities which pay us a little bit better. So we won't be going for our true passions. And most importantly, there is all this phenomenon of the uh, brain drains that it's such a huge thing in Italy. And it's not by random. It's because the labor market is not attractive. And why isn't it, attra is it not attractive? Because leaders are not ready to give space for young people. And that's what I'm looking for a firm. I don't know whether I will end up working in Italy uh, after my graduation. I don't want to exclude anything. But if that was the case, I will definitely look for a firm that is able to guarantee me from the very beginning that my voice will be heard, that I will be cared for, that they will be able to provide me with growth opportunities, constant training. My learning cannot stop after graduation. We live in an era where continuous learning is very important. And I want my business, my company to be able to offer that to me. And I also want to have a frank confrontation with my manager or people that I work with. So constant feedback. I want to know if I'm doing right or I'm doing wrong. And I don't want to wait until it's too late to realize that I'm not doing a good job. I need to, to be followed. And I think this concept of mentorship is very important. I think this mentorship concept is a bit lacking. I've been very, very blessed and I, that I found mentors just randomly in my life. And I discovered how important it is to have role models in front of you, people that you can look up to and say, wow, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. And 
I found my mentors outside university just by random events. Uh, and they really helped me uh, get where I am today and also to engage with this self-discovery process, you know, because for example, like maybe I'm, I'm digressing a little bit with this, but I'm just trying to say that sometimes us as young people, we need to hear that everything will be fine, that our fears of not knowing where the future is going to lead us are legitimate, are valid fears. And that you've always been there as a CEO, as a 50 years old CEO of one of the biggest companies. You've always been, uh, you've you've also been there and you can understand me. And precisely because you can understand me, you can take my hand and, you know, not in a mm, patronizing way, but in a leading way, precisely. Uh, Being a leader means being able to recognize that you've been there as well and being kind. I think we are lacking kindness in in the workplace. Uh, There is just like this very top-bottom structure where most of the time us as young people are at the bottom and we just have to listen without uh, giving space to our own private initiative. Yeah, and I think definitely, I mean, leaders, for me, if I would, you know, push myself to a definition of what that is, is really people who have followers for the reason of fact that people want to follow them for some reason, right? And also that they have this, uh, they are beyond, I mean, they've like, in a way, parked a little bit their ego, and then they they are constantly experimenting and, and, you know, going places where people haven't been before and, and daring to say, I don't know, but let's figure it out. Let's figure it out together, right? That's the kind of, I think, leader that, that I mean, regardless of, of, of generation, I think we, we would love to, to see and people who dare to have um, really visions, like long, like really long leaps and, and, and um, giving people not just a naive sense of hope, but like meaning, you know? And I think, I mean, that's probably the product of our system, but it's hard to do it, I think, for leaders because it's hard to do it for us as young people as well. We are not able to be vulnerable. We are not able to accept that we have moments of uncertainty and we sometimes we don't know things and we need to seek for help, right? We always talk about vulnerability as a feminine wor- world, as if it was a weakness, whereas actually it's a strength. And if we were able to exercise this radical vulnerability um, altogether, I think the dialogue would be much more fruitful across generations. And I, the, the, the power and the energy that can come out, out of this is, is, is huge. Hmm. And I also I, I met some time ago um, people also working for for Nike and and one of their you could say emotional perspectives of that company is really that they work with psychological safety so which means that they literally you know say to everybody's working there you know you're welcome hundred percent bring all of yourself to work that's what we wish that's what we want and and you know you can throw in whatever crazy idea somebody's always gonna you know pick you up and 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 make you feel like part of that team there's no fear there's no anxiety there's no like threat in the air and that's really what makes a company much more also innovative and curious and and fun to work with so so really the psychological safety but then again i'm asking myself you know what what role do we again play ourselves right um because for example i'm sure that wherever you end up um uh, to work uh in in a year or two if you you know reach out to people and say listen um this is how i feel about this or this is what i think uh what would you guide me or what would you advise me or whatever people are very 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 happy to help uh but they some people also i think i, I realize are a bit insecure about how to deal with young, uh, bright people like yourself because they say, okay, um, 
as you say, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to offend him by, by, by giving advice. Maybe he doesn't want, maybe he knows, maybe, you know, or they have huge like uh, expectations and then you feel that kind of pressure and you don't want to ask. To be honest, I realized one of the most important thing is to be humble. As a young person, whenever I get into a place, uh, I know that a person who is older than me, it's true, like an older person does not mean that he or she is necessarily smarter than me or better than me, but she or he have more experience than me and they have lived things that I haven't got the chance to live yet. So uh, it can be a life teaching. It can be a business tip. It can be feedback on what I've done on my last project or on my last presentation in front of the client. I think at this phase of my life, I just want to keep learning and whatever comes from other people, as long as it's a constructive critique, it's very, very uh, valid. And I think the beautiful thing about, uh, about this is that if you are a humble enough person and also uh, you can you master self-critique well, then you're able to take these tips and think about them back home and try to improve on them continuously. And at some point you will be in their position as well. So I think it's just a transmission of responsibility. And I'm sure that leaders as well, when they were my age, um, they were wishing for the same precise thing and maybe they were not lucky enough because they were not brave enough to reach out or maybe they they didn't have good enough leaders who are able to lead them but they can start they can start doing it and in that way you will just shape a future class of rulers and leaders who will do the same thing and in this collective uh, growing we can all uh, benefit yeah and i believe a lot also in in, in self leadership so many companies are you know transforming into these kind of or reinventing their organizations into more self leadership in that environment leadership is really to show the way to show where we're going and then of course have a very strong culture so people know inherently know what would be the right thing to do or not in different situations right and then leave um, people for the rest uh, leave leave it up to them to decide so there's a huge sense of trust Yes, that's the beauty of culture, I think, the culture in a business, that it's still there regardless who is leading, right? Because if the culture is strong enough, then it's not dependent on the people who is leading because, uh, you know, the, the CEO or the manager knows that his employees will uh, act in a certain way because uh, that's just the way they are uh, used to do things. So it's all about, you know, trusting each other. That's another feature that I really need in whatever environment uh, I, I end up working. Hmm. And and if you go back like, I don't know, three, four, five years ago or so, is there any particular advice you said, oh, my God, I should have done this or I should have whatever? Yeah, I have quite a few. I, first of all, probably pace down a little bit. Allow yourself to question your choices. As I was saying before, we, we are put into this educational system which just pushes you to always do your best and never think about your choices. So you will even end up just becoming a strategist from your first year. You do your extracurriculars because they can gain you an internship in the summer and so on, and you just end up leaving aside your passions. I was an actor for all my five years of high school. And then I, when, I, when I went to undergraduate, I just left it aside because I was this does not give me any added value on my CV. And that was just such a stupid choice. I mean, and, and I missed it. I missed it very much. And I realized today how I would have benefited from questioning what I was choosing to do in my free time. Keeping being an actor could have led me probably to what I'm happening to think right now. Because when I got to London for my grad school, I 
I applied for this festival of theater, the biggest student festival of theater in London. And I'm currently working on a production that I'll be happy to share with you on the experience of Palestinian children um, in the occupied territories. And, you know, uh, I never thought that theater and arts could have a social purpose, you know, and it just helped me recreate my own um, sense of change that I want to create. And that's why now I'm telling you education and media industry are the two things that I would like to focus my career on because I had this experience in the theater field this year that I had forgotten for a very long time. So that I, I wish I had you know, questioned my choices and pursued my true passions at the same time while studying in undergraduate as well. And also seek out for help if you need. I've always been the kind of person, and I think that that's also due to my upbringing. My parents were always telling me, and I'm not blaming them for that, but one of their teaching was do not ask too many favors to people uh, because that enslaves you and that kind of just puts you in a position that you have to give back. And I remember this sentence being repeated by my professor of political philosophy at Bocconi, who used uh, a philosophical author to claim the exact same thing uh, using the word, the, the word being enslaved precisely. And I wish I hadn't listened to that teaching. There are a lot of people out there who are going to try to take advantage of you. That's true, especially if they see that you are motivated, that you that you are kind, that you want to help, they will take advantage of you. But there are also so many people, and that's the beauty of this world, who genuinely care about you and want you for you the best. And it's just about becoming aware of what are the features of these people so that you can become very good at identifying them and recruiting them. Life is all about finding the right allies to cope with the hardships that we have every day. And I happen to have many hardships where I would just feel, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. Am I actually passionate about what I'm studying? Am I just running too much? Uh, and I would just like stress out so much about the future, for example. Or also when I was struggling with creating my own sense of identity, I don't see myself as fully Italian, but not as fully Moroccan. And at that time I was like, okay, I need to reach out to people who can help me with that. And I thought that would mean being weak and vulnerable, but then it just turned out to be the most healing uh, thing I could do. I really believe in this concept of radical vulnerability. That's my motto, radical vulnerability for collective healing. If we are able to reach out to each other and seek help and share our own experiences, we can really heal our traumas and our inner insecurities. And I wish I had started to do that a bit earlier in my life, because I think for the three years of college, I was just too focused on what I was doing that I forgot about my mental health and my um, inner stability as well. And and uh, it's like music to my ears when I hear you say this, because it's so important. And, and I'm thinking, my God, are you a rare, beautiful exception uh, when you think like this now, 22 years old? Or how about your friends around you, the community, the student community around you? Are people more and more like thinking like that? Or what do you see? I don't want to generalize. Uh, I've been lucky enough in this past year in London because I started to develop this mindset precisely because of the people who crossed my path. I met people who taught me to calm down, to live in the present, which is something that I've never really managed to do, and to, to be open to them and to talk to them and to journal. Journaling as well has helped me a lot, for example. I never did that before. I just thought it was stupid to write my thoughts on a piece of paper. And now I do it every day. So I think the, my, my mindset is the result of the people that I chose for myself. So there is a bit of a bias. Uh, if I look around me, yes, I would tell you people, there are people like that who are my age and even younger. If I think back at my past experiences, I wouldn't be that sure. I've also met many people who are just uh, so forward-looking and 
little empathetic. They're lacking this empathy that I think is the most important thing in this nowadays. And uh, yeah, and especially for for certain you know professions and so on, I I would say my God, that should be like tested almost the sense of empathy, and in, in, especially in you know in professions like I don't know being a medical doctor or or in any actually profession when you think about it, because if people are not pathetic, that they typically are 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 I mean damaging the whole environment around them. Okay, Zach. So my my final question to you um, is is a big one, I guess, but. What do you think the world needs most at this time? Is empathy is being able to put um, one in the, in the other's shoes. I think of you know the several crises we are experiencing right now. I think of the health crisis because of COVID. I think one of the most beautiful things I've seen here in my town is just people talking from one side to the other of the balcony and just connecting for the very first time and. And that was just a powerful moment that you realized at the end of the day, we are just finite uh, little human beings and we all have our own weaknesses and together we can get out of difficult moments together. And I think the lockdown, for example, in Italy and in other countries was a beautiful example of what can come out of a collective effort and understanding. And this also applies to the business world because, um, you know, without a strong empathy uh, in the business world, we're not going to be able to get out of this um, obvious economic crisis. All the, business, all the businesses are very much interconnected. So if one business fails and it's the supplier to another business, then also that business will fail and so on in a chain effect that it's very uh, detrimental to the economic health of our um, society. So we need to re-see, I think, the, the structure of, of the market as well, where of course, there are competitors and they are competing with one another. But um, I think by being more empathetic and by sharing knowledge and by sharing also infrastructures, for example, they can still pursue their own goals um, without creating any damage to the world. I think, for example, of telecommunication companies that are going to go super big right now with a uh, 5G uh, network. There is a lot of opportunity there, but... This also requires a lot of infrastructures. And they all, if they all decide to build different infrastructures, that's going to be very damaging for, for the environment. But if they're able to exercise empathy and understand this uh, collateral fact, when, then they can come together and invest in common infrastructure and they can still you know, make profits and help people at large. And very lastly, that's something which comes very personal to me, um, the race crisis that we, we witnessed in the United States which is actually very much present in Europe as well, is just, I think, more latent and silent and probably even more dangerous because nobody talks about it. I really hope that this awful episode of police brutality and this death paved the way for a discussion in the institutions and in our civil society. What does it mean to be of a color rather than another? I think there is a clear structure that has always been there forever of white supremacy that needs to be challenged and and I think that empathy is the only key in the sense that we are taught at schools about history through the lens of those who won, but we never focus on those who lost. And those who lost keep losing nowadays as well. And the African continent is a clear example of that because their misery is the result of what happened last century, is the result of imperialism and the colonization processes which, were, which did not happen as they should have. So I think it's all about realizing that even if we were not there at that time, we do hold somehow some responsibility and we do need to be empathetic and try to understand the needs of the other to come out of, out of this um, stronger and um, closer to, to one another.
definitely because I mean we we are all one drops of the same ocean so any anything else is to, is typically a result of somebody trying to use some kind of power to to move our ourselves in different directions yeah think of children for example like children put in the same room they will just play with one another without caring about anything thank you so so much how was it to be on the podcast it was lovely it was my first podcast and i'm so grateful for you to be in this platform to share my story with other people and i really hope that people in the business world also students my age can relate a little bit to to my words and i mean they know my name now so if they want to reach out i'm very happy to connect and share Thank you so much. And uh, you'll find the links and show notes on uh, corporateunplugged.com. So remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Zach. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, Zach. Ciao, Vesna. Grazie.